1: I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Wall Street kicking off November in the red after the Dow's best monthly run in nearly 50 years. Futures right now are modestly higher. It is, of course, Fed Day as Jay Powell prepares to deliver his fourth supersized rate hike in a row with inflation showing no real signs of abating now first it was the saudi national bank now credit suisse is getting a cash injection from yet another controversial investor that could put its biggest clients in a tougher spot plus china taking extreme measures to contain a COVID outbreak around foxconn's so-called iphone city factory and it couldn't come at a more crucial time for apple and then later on, more advertising backlash against Twitter as Elon Musk details plans for a new pay-to-tweet subscription service. It is Wednesday, November 2nd, 2022. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I'm Dominic Chiu and for Brian Sullivan today, let's kick off the hour with a check on U.S. equity futures after a mostly lower session for stocks yesterday to start the month right now. The Dow is implied higher by just around 75 points, so some modest gains at the opening bell implied. The S&P implied higher by just about 12 points and a 50-point gain for the Nasdaq. So some moves that are at least a little bit more of a wait-and-see type thing, right, on a big Fed day. Now, one area of the market that was able to lock in some gains yesterday... The small cap stocks outperforming with the Russell 2000 posting its seventh positive session over the last eight. It was up one quarter of one percent in yesterday's trading. Checking in on the bond market yields steady ish ahead of the big policy decision from the Fed. Widely expected for a three quarters of one percent rate hike. But still, the 10 year Treasury note yield just about four point oh five percent. The two year note yield four point five oh five percent and the 30 year long bond four point one two percent there in energy prices. Oil is continuing to show some signs of life here in the morning trade. Of course, we have seen a bit of a move higher and lower for energy stocks in near-term trades. But the WTI crude price for U.S. benchmark price is $88.72. It's up 35 cents, about one half of 1 percent. Ice Brent crude futures, the world benchmark gauge, $94.83, up 18 cents. Call it about two tenths of 1 percent. And Nat gas price is up three and a half percent right now. In cryptocurrencies, Still keeping a close eye on that 20,000 level for Bitcoin. We're hovering just above there, 20,530, the last trade up about one third of 1%. Meanwhile, Ethereum prices, $1,576 and change, down about one to two tenths of 1%. Let's check on the overnight action in Asia and the early trading in Europe that's going on right now. For that, we send it out to our own Arabile Gumede in London with the latest there. Good morning, Arabile.
0: Yeah, good morning, Dominic. So shares in Asia, then, as you can tell, mostly in the green today, higher this morning. All eyes there are on what could be another 75 basis point hike by the Fed, as you noted. While of course, markets have been trying to weather the storm. Hong Kong's Hang Seng was actually halted after gaining that 2.41 percent at 15,827 points. That halt in trading coming after warnings of a tropical cyclone, the Shanghai Composite, also then managing to get some gains today and Some of its losses from this week while the cost was fractionally higher. This does come after South Korea's inflation did inch up to 5.7% in the month of October. Now, in stock news, though, we did see that Sony Group did raise its fiscal year profit outlook. This was helped by what was a weaker yen and solid sales in its music publishing business, which made up for what was somewhat lackluster momentum in its games and image sensor businesses. Of course, that image sensor business does help Apple quite a bit. The group has sold 3.3 million PlayStation 5s. That totals 25 million since the launch, but it's still not enough for that 18 million they wish to get in this fiscal year. Over to Europe then, markets have nudged higher with investors also focusing on the conclusion of the U.S. Federal Reserve's policy meeting. As you can tell then, the DAX and the IBEX pretty much the ones in the red so far. U.S. Federal policy meeting is the key note, of course, but healthcare stocks did add almost 1% to lead gains as most sectors and major bosses did enter somewhat of a positive territory. Tilt utilities slipping around 0.5%. A quick one on GSK then, they coming up and they've upped their full year guidance after posting a third quarter beat on sales. Sales did rise 1.2 billion pounds on the year. However, the company warned it expects substantially lower future sales, particularly for COVID solutions.
1: All right. All right. Billy in London with the latest headlines out there. Thank you very much, sir. We appreciate it. To some of this morning's top corporate stories, let's turn to Silvana now for those. Good morning, Silvana.
2: Dom, good morning to you. The Qatar Investment Authority reportedly plans to boost its stake in Credit Suisse, According to the Financial Times, the plan is for the group to invest in a in a share sale alongside the Saudi National Bank. If confirmed, the deal would result in up to 25 percent of Credit Suisse stock being owned by Middle Eastern investors. The Saudi National Bank, whose largest shareholder is the Saudi sovereign fund, agreed last week to invest some one billion dollars in the investment bank for a stake of nearly 10 percent. Chemicals maker DuPont is ending its $5.2 billion buyout of Rogers Corporation. This marks the first collapse of a major U.S. M&A deal in four years over a failure to clear Chinese regulatory hurdles. The companies had said back in September that all agencies had rubber stamped the deal except for those in China. And Tesla has reportedly closed its flagship showroom in China. According to Reuters, the move by the EV maker stems from it adjusting its sales and service strategy in its second largest market. The Beijing store, which opened in 2013 and was Tesla's first in China, was shuttered last week. Reuters previously reported Tesla was considering closing some showrooms in malls in cities like Beijing after traffic plunged due to COVID restrictions, Dom.
1: With the latest headlines there, thank you very much. Markets bracing for today's interest rate policy decision from the Federal Reserve at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Expectations of a hike of 75 basis points or three quarters of 1 percent, largely baked in the markets now, with the central bank also potentially set to signal it could reduce the size of its rate hikes starting as soon as next month. But yesterday's unexpected rebound in the Jolts jobs report, likely keeping the pressure up on the Fed to extend its interest rate hike campaign for more. And now let's bring in Marianne Bartels, the chief investment strategist at Sanctuary Wealth. Marianne, it's good to see you again. I I wonder if you if you look at the scenario playing out in the markets right now, it's fair to say that investors are trying to figure out whether or not this pace of rate hikes can be sustained. Is it time for the Fed to back off just a little bit or is inflation still too, too much of a worry right now for markets overall?
3: Good morning, Dom. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, You know, I don't think we have the data yet for the Fed to really back off. Um, The Fed is really committed to getting inflation down. And and Powell has told you that by saying that he's going to keep at it. He gave you the playbook from VOCA. And and I think we're all tired of the bear. We want the bear to go into hibernation. But I think it's a little bit too early to to be calling that. I still think that we're going to have... Episodic volatility, you know, even going possibly into next year. But I think as we enter next year, we possibly will start getting some of the data that the Fed is looking for.
1: So, so I guess how far are we through this now? So, so in your mind, it sounds like we're we're well past the halfway point, perhaps, in this particular campaign on the interest rate side of things. And if so, if there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Where exactly should markets be positioning as they are forward looking towards maybe what happens after the Fed gets to its terminal rate, whatever
3: that is? Well, the market's going to anticipate the Fed move. You know, the the market is, is a discounting mechanism. And once the market starts sensing that the Fed is going to start to pivot, you know, markets rally, you know, double digits. And it's very interesting because I think you're already starting to see the leadership emerge. Uh, You're already seeing energy um, on a tear and we 're seeing some stocks in that space already reach uh, record all time highs. You know a space i don 't hear people talking a lot about is you know the defense space and and some of those stocks are really rocketing and hitting new highs in the healthcare space. You have a uh, number of names hitting record all time new highs, and the valuations that you 're seeing in the small and mid cap space are the best that we 've seen in years. So I think as we move into year and into the first quarter, I think you're going to start seeing a repositioning uh, into the new leadership. And, you know, don't forget that we're, we actually now have a fixed income market. We have rates. You've got rates in, in cash. You've got rates in the bond market. Uh, you know, 60-40 is not dead anymore. I think you're going to start seeing some allocation uh, into cash and fixed income, and it's actually already started.
1: All right. Marianne Bartels with thoughts on the markets there at Sanctuary Wealth. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. When we come back on the show, China stepping up measures to contain a COVID outbreak at a key iPhone production plant, efforts that could push workers to a breaking point, plus more advertiser backlash against Twitter as Elon Musk details plans for a new pay-to-tweet subscription service. And then later on, just one day ahead of Netflix's ad-tier launch, reports some movie studios are a little nervous about the product's odds of success. We've got a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this commercial break.
4: What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
5: Walmart Plus members save on Meeting Up With Friends.
1: Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange, to a developing story we are following in China, where authorities are ordering a seven-day lockdown of the area around a major Foxconn factory over surging COVID cases among the worker population there. This comes as Chinese EV maker Neo says it is suspending production due to COVID outbreaks across the country. Our own Eunice Yun joins us now from Beijing with the latest there. Eunice.
4: Thanks, Dom. Well, only a day after the city of Zhengzhou said that it was going to ease off its effective lockdown, the industrial area that houses the Foxconn facility said that it's going to reimpose very strict COVID controls. So uh, these are uh, quite harsh. Uh, the, uh, they, the authority said that there will be no transportation except for essential services, that everyone is going to be ordered to stay inside and also to work from home. Uh, The uh, they're not even going to allow people to go outside to buy groceries and then the only time you are allowed to leave the house is to take part in the mass testing rounds. So um, this is uh, seen as potentially very disruptive for the Foxconn facility which has already uh, been hit with a lot of worker issues. Uh, The uh, authorities there uh, say that uh, this is going to last until November 9th and again it was triggered because we've seen. Um, What in a Chinese context is a surge in cases of reported 359 for a population of 12 million. But, of of course, globally, uh, this isn't a very significant number. But it is, of course, enough to motivate uh, the Beijing authorities and uh, to have a lot of people concerned about the the Foxconn facility, which is responsible for about 80% of the production capacity for the iPhone 14. And just one little addition, uh, Dom, is that the NEO... Uh, EV maker had said that it's also going to be sus- suspending production because of COVID controls around its factories.
1: Uh, Eunice, I, I mean, you, you mentioned the importance of this Foxconn facility for Apple and its iPhone production, you know, globally, also because of Neo and its problems right now producing electric vehicles. I wonder, in, in China right now, is there a focus on on the death count that's over there right now? We talk about cases, but is there a reason why the government and or the people in China? Are, are, are they worried at all? Is, does it feel like this is a situation where even though there's a surge in COVID cases, it may not amount to anything more than just a surge in sickness without any real death coming out of it?
4: Right. So if you, um, if you were to ask some of the workers at Foxconn, for example, there would be a concern about death because um, one of the Um, uh, uh, things that they've been complaining about is that there hasn't been a lot of information about the actual virus. So there is a level of concern about death. However, uh, from a policy level and when it comes to officials, uh, the concern isn't about death. It's about cases. And that's because uh, from the top, the zero COVID policy is the one that they're the most concerned about. The authorities want to make sure that they do not have any cases at all um, in their jurisdiction. It's, um, the, the policy has been tweaked slightly. It's zero COVID, but it's actually as close to zero as you can get. Um, and, and, but even, even with that, the messaging that the authorities get on the ground is that they have to keep their cases at zero, Um, And uh, that's why we're seeing so much disruption from the economy, because even though that that one case might be somebody who has a, you know, kind of doesn't feel well for three days or something uh, from a Chinese perspective, um, a government perspective, that's just not good enough.
1: Pretty self-explanatory. Zero COVID in that policy. Eunice Yun in Beijing with the latest there. Thank you very much. (laughs) Sticking with China as the rally in Chinese tech stocks stretches into a second day, despite all these headlines, names like Metwan, JD.com, Alibaba popping on unconfirmed news and social media posts of a COVID zero policy shift and a potential formation of a reopening committee. This despite the country's foreign ministry saying yesterday that it is, quote, not aware of the situation. Just to pour more confusion on this. The rebound comes after a long bear run for China and Hong Kong markets, as you can see there. Joining me now to discuss this is Marco Papich the chief strategist at Clocktower Group. Uh, Marco, you, you heard Yunus's report just now. There is very much a zero COVID policy in place, and that hasn't changed. Meanwhile, the markets in Chinese stocks arguably got a huge boost because of these unconfirmed reports that they were looking to loosen restrictions. Can you tell us whether or not China is an investable market, given all of this confusion?
6: I think in the short term, I think there's definitely a trade setting up for Chinese equities, and the reason for that is, you know, multifaceted. First of all, uh, the bond sell-off, global bond sell-off is likely coming to an end, which should lift tech stocks everywhere. China is a very much a tech-heavy market. Second, while the unconfirmed rumors are most likely not true, there isn't like a reopening committee. Uh, we at Clock our, you know, our sources in China have told us that there was a meeting and that it discussed putting together a reopening plan that may happen as quickly as March. And the third issue is that uh, we do have a new government in China that will be in place in March. And so it does make sense for President Xi to want his new team, which, by the way, as we all know, we've all been hearing it for weeks now, is purely his team. I do think he will want that team to have tailwinds. So we've already seen some loosening up of real estate regulation. We've seen the all-important PBOC PSL facility be reactivated. And so it would also make sense that some COVID restrictions begin being loosened by March as an effort to give the new government a tailwind and President Xi also uh, some political tailwinds from economic recovery.
1: So so these tech stocks over the course of the last several years have been hit pretty hard because of fears over the Xi administration and its crackdown on big tech. It's gotten too much influence. It's becoming too big a part of the economy. It has way too much sway over what happens with the people and the economy. If that is still the case and President Xi has just been elected to a unprecedented third term, making him in some people people's minds an emperor in China, then what does it mean for big tech? Why would you want to be there if this is the administration that's been against big tech for all these years?
6: I think the administration has been against big tech gaining political influence. But one of the things that they've realized is that there is a way to go too far, and they have gone too far. You know, like undergraduate students in China don't dream of working on an assembly line. Uh, they want to work in the TMT sector. They, they want to work in marketing and tech. And so uh, China has a big problem with youth unemployment. Actually, it's the third highest in the world after Italy and India, Of obviously the major economies. And so they need to loosen up some of these regulatory headwinds, which they have done. Like 2022, they didn't actually do anything in terms of tech regulatory crackdown. Most of that was concentrated in 2021. They are starting to loosen some of that. And I think you will see more of those. Now, look, this is I'm not saying this is a long term investment. There's a lot of risk that comes with consolidation of power under one man, whether it's China or any other place in the world. But is there a trade? Is there an opening for being long? tech stocks in China, I think, I think there is, as there probably will be for tech stocks, broadly speaking, if the bond sell-off also globally ends.
1: Marco, before we let you go, just a few moments left here. What are your favorite spots in the market
6: then? I think for 2023, um, you know, China is going to look fine, but also I think there's macro trades that are going to work out once the Fed backs off that have very little to do with China. Uh, things like commodities, uh, also high beta plays to China should do well in 2023, whether it's the Nikkei, whether it's the Euros, European stock market as well. Um, and that should also ease the bull market in the dollar uh, if China puts a floor in the bottom and the Fed backs off. Those two will be the most important macro forces in 2023.
1: All right. Marco package on the uh, economy state there in China. Thank you very much. Still on deck for the show this morning's big money movers, including China COVID troubles, casting a dark cloud over this stock's fourth quarter outlook. Mystery Chart Revealed. We are back after this.
5: Walmart Plus members save on Meeting Up With Friends.
1: Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers. Three stock stories of the morning. First up, you've got advanced micro devices, AMD. The chipmaker's third quarter results missing forecast, but sales from its data centers division held up. AMD shares are moving higher after CEO Lisa Su told analysts on the conference call that the company expects to get rid of excess inventory by the end of the year. Those shares up about four plus percent in the pre-market. Lisa Su, by the way, We'll be on Mad Money with Jim Cramer in an exclusive interview tonight. A must watch there, 6 p.m. Eastern time. Lisa Su, CEO of AMD with Jim Cramer. Now, stock number two is Airbnb. Third quarter profits and revenue beat forecast, but growth in bookings slowed to 29% in the quarter from nearly 60%. In the second quarter, Airbnb says fourth quarter revenues could fall short of estimates as the strong dollar is starting to pressure its business and says bookings would moderate those Airbnb shares down about six and a half percent right now in the pre market and stock number three is Yum China. those shares jumping nearly fourteen percent in Hong Kong after the fast food chain 's third quarter profits nearly doubled it 's the biggest one day gain since mid March for that stock. However, the company warns of a resurgence in COVID cases across China is darkening its outlook for the fourth quarter. But again, 14% gains there. Let's now get a check on this morning's other top headlines. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York with the latest
7: there. Good morning, Philip. Hey, Dom. Good morning. Breaking overnight, an exchange of fire on the Korean Peninsula. South Korea launching air-to-surface missiles in response to an earlier barrage of 10 missiles coming from North Korea. None landed in South Korean territory, but one did get close enough to the eastern maritime border to set off an air raid alert on an island in the area. In a briefing, South Korea's Joint Chief of Staff called the incident unacceptable, and the military later responded in kind with fighter jets firing three precision guided missiles north toward that same sea border, according to the Associated Press. Now to the investigation into the attack on House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul. David Depap made his first court appearance and pleaded not guilty. The DA successfully argued for the 42-year-old to be held without bail. Depap is facing a long list of serious federal and state charges, including attempted murder and assault with a deadly weapon. New court filings allege DePAP told officers at the scene that he was on a suicide mission and that he had additional targets. The federal complaint says DePAP wanted to use Nancy Pelosi to lure another individual, but did not give any further explanation. Speaker Pelosi has said that her husband Paul is making steady progress in what will be a long recovery. Turning now to sports, and the big bats came out in Philly for Game 3 of the World Series. Alex Bohm's blast was the 1,000th home run in World Series history. The Phillies would tack on a total of five home runs, tied for the most in a World Series game. Philadelphia blows out Houston 7 to nothing, and now leads the series two games to one. Finally, the excitement is growing for tonight's Powerball jackpot, which has surged to over $1.2 billion dollars. The jackpot stands as the second largest prize in the Powerball's 30-year history. Lottery players have endured 38 drawings in a row without a jackpot winner. So fingers crossed for tonight's drawing at 11 p.m. Eastern. That's it from here, Dom. Back to you. Two bucks and a dream.
1: It's worth it for me. I'll I'll get a ticket on my way home. Philip Mena, thank you very much for that. Straight ahead of the show, shares of Amazon doing something for the first time since 2020. And it's not a good thing we'll tell you it'll be right it'll be huge we'll be right back stocks looking to hit the reset button after kicking the new trading month off in the red futures right now in a holding pattern investors of course bracing for that big fed rate decision but with inflation still red hot is a potential rate hike pullback looking less likely And hitting pause, one of the top advertising companies issuing new warnings to clients about working with Elon Musk owned Twitter. It's Wednesday, November 2nd. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I'm Dominic Chewin for Brian Sullivan. Let's get right to how markets are shaping up on this Wednesday morning. Futures are in a holding pattern. There, You can see here the Dow is just implied lower by five whole points. It's pretty much unchanged. The S&P is implied higher by one point and the Nasdaq higher by 13. All of this as we get ready for the big Fed interest rate decision so you can understand why a lot of traders may be a little bit more apprehensive about taking big positions one way or the other ahead of that big meeting. Well, let's get a check on some of this morning's top stories. Sylvana Hinao is here with those. Hi, Sylvana.
2: Dom, hello. Well, Twitter facing growing concerns among some advertisers as Elon Musk and his advisors continue to reshape the social platform. Interpublic Group, one of the world's largest advertising companies, has recommended that its clients suspend all paid advertising on Twitter for at least one week following Musk's acquisition. Sources tell CNBC the firm has told clients to wait for clarity on Twitter's plans for trust and safety and to see whether Musk will be able to prevent Twitter from becoming a free-for-all hellscape, as he called it. The development comes as Musk lays out his plan to charge $8 a month for a verified Twitter account. Netflix is set to roll out its ad-supported tier tomorrow, reportedly without a number of programs and other content. According to the Financial Times, some studios want to see how well the new service works before agreeing whether to put their products on it. The FT says Netflix does not own some of its most popular programs, but instead licenses them from rival studios. In some instances, the licenses do not allow for the content to run on an ad-tiered version of Netflix. And a former Apple employee has pled guilty to defrauding the tech giant out of 17 million dollars in a written plea agreement. The former parts buyer admitted to taking kickbacks, inflating invoices, stealing parts and causing Apple to pay for items and services it never received over the course of seven years. He faces a total of up to 25 years in prison when he is sentenced in March, Dom.
1: With the latest headlines there, thank you very much. Back to our top story in the countdown to today's big Federal Reserve policy decision at 2 p.m. Eastern time. According to the CME Group, investors are pricing in more than 85 percent chance that the Fed raises its benchmark rate by 75 basis points or three quarters of a percent for the fourth time in a row. As inflation, of course, shows no signs of cooling off towards the bank's elusive 2 percent target inflation level. But looking ahead to the Fed's final meeting of the year in December, its policy path forward looks a little bit more murky, according, appearing at least to be a toss-up between a 50 basis point or half percentage point hike and a fifth 75 basis point or three quarters percentage point hike in a row. So joining me now are a couple of experts who can help shed some light on this. Priya Misra, who's the managing director and global head of interest rate strategy at TD Securities, And then there's Michelle Girard, head of the U.S. markets here at NatWest. And and I guess, ladies, thank you both for being here. I'd like to start, uh, Michelle, with you and the general economic picture that we are dealing with. I had a long conversation last night with a very smart man who does a lot of trafficking and these types of names and securities on the Treasury side of things. And he pretty much said the Fed isn't doing enough. Seems like a lot to say. Michelle, is the Fed doing enough right now?
8: I think the Fed has done a lot. I don't necessarily think the Fed's job is done, as you said. The, the expectation, our own included, is that the Fed will raise rates another seventy-five basis points today, and then follow that up with a an additional half of ba, uh, fifty basis point increase in December. So, so there's more to do. But you know, the funds rate is is approaching four and a half five percent. That's that's a lot to you know that's a quite a, a sizable move. I think the Fed started slow and has worked quickly now. To try to get policy certainly beyond neutral into a, a restrictive stance, as you said, um, the economic backdrop is is not is not cooperating, if you will. Inflation continues to run uh, very hot. You know, we were at a, a another high year over year on the CPI. We're still running a, a nearly six and a half percent on the CPI, and the, and the labor market does not look to be cooling very significantly. We had. You know, data yesterday that showed the number of job openings continues to be very high. The demand for labor isn't really pulling back even in the face of these rate increases. So I I think it all continues to suggest the Fed has done a lot, but still has a bit more to do.
1: So, So, Priya, I mean, as you look at interest rates right now, in your mind, how much more does the sovereign bond market in the U.S. have to sell off before the rates picture becomes a little bit more at least conducive to the idea that the economy and inflation can coexist in a more balanced manner?
9: Right, great question. Um, So I think that front end, to Michelle's point, Inflation is still too high uh, and the labor market is still hot. So I would say that the front end of the yield curve, so these zero to five-year interest rates, can continue to move higher. I mean, I think today's hike is well-priced in. It's really about that destination. The market's pricing in 5% terminal. We think that's enough but really risks are to the upside. You know, inflation may not cooperate. Um, And and, and so maybe those front-end rates can rise some more. I do think that the long end has peaked. I think, you know, it's important to think about what most of us borrow at the five to 10-year part of the curve. And those rates have risen significantly. Real rates have risen significantly. I think if you look at this entire rate hiking cycle, it's really been that long-end move in the last two months that's tightened financial conditions, that starts to put pressure on the mortgage market. I do think those rates have risen because we're starting to see early signs of the consumer slowing down. Yeah, uh, You know, we've already seen signs of the housing market slowing down. So I would argue that the long-end is actually looking attractive i think owning the 10 year around 4% is attractive if the economy is going to slow down and the fed's going to be you know it's, it's it, the fed is going to find it very hard to to ease policy with with very high inflation so i think the long end's done the front end may still have more room to go as as the fed keeps you know they're data dependent I, I don't think they can give us a whole lot of guidance today if inflation remains high i think they're going to keep going so that front end still could have room to go higher
1: M- michelle i wonder do you- Do you agree with Priya here on this one? And the only reason why I ask is from a layperson's perspective. If you do buy into this kind of notion, as Priya points out, that the long end side of things, say the 10 year note yield, is pretty much topped out at this point. It's attractive. It might actually go lower because people find it attractive. And yet short rates continue to go higher. That kind of in the conventional wisdom has implied recession, economic slowdown. Is that what we are going to see, and will that be enough to cool off the inflationary picture over the next 6 to 12 months?
8: Yeah, so that's, the, that's really the question. We do actually see a recession. Uh, we, have, we have negative GDP growth even starting in the fourth quarter and extending through the first half of next year. Very mild recession, but a downturn nonetheless. The question is whether or not one that will bring inflation down, and two, be enough to prompt the Fed to, to so-called pivot to begin to shift from a tightening cycle to an easing cycle, maybe at some point in the middle or, or third quarter of next year. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm on. I agree with what what Priya is saying. Um, I actually think for the Fed, even against this weak economic backdrop, it's going to be very difficult to to. Not end up having to raise rates further um, if inflation does not come down, despite slower growth. um, The Fed may be in a very difficult position to having to do a bit more in 2023 in terms of of hiking. Um, And I think it will be very difficult for the Fed to cut rates at any point in 2023, given that we don't have inflation getting below 5% next year. And that is something that I think the market would be disappointed about because the market is expecting if we do get this recession that the Fed will be cutting interest rates. And and I and again, I think the risk is or the Fed's decision set next year is going to be do we stay steady or do we have to do more? Not do we stay steady and cut?
1: All right. So, Priya, we'll give you the last word here. Uh, People call it the pivot. Uh, I heard Joe Joe Kernan call it the swivel or something like that the Mm -hmm. other day. Uh, In your mind, before we let this team go, how what is the terminal rate? Where does the Fed stop? And then how long do we have to stay at those high rates before we can perhaps take our foot off the break, I guess, if you want to call it that?
9: Sure. I'll add another word to that downshift. But, you know, like uh, without any commitment. So, um, you know, we're looking for five percent terminal. We expect that terminal to stay all the way up until the end of next year. We're looking for inflation at that point to get within the two handle, you know, 2.8, 2.9. And the Fed can say, look, we've done a lot. And then they're gonna look at the unemployment rate. And we think that the labor market's going to be extremely lagging because it's a very tight labor market. It's been so hard to hire people that layoffs will be late. Once they start, I think it 's going to be a sharp rise in the unemployment rate we 're looking for close to five percent on the unemployment rate by the end of next year that 's when we think the Fed starts late in, in terms of not being able to be preemptive to michelle 's point but that they do start to cut by the end of next year and then we have a pretty significant easing cycle in 24 but it's going to be a difficult year next year because they're going to have to uh, you know message to the market that they cannot respond to slowing growth so i think they they're going to seem very late in uh, in terms of that uh, that easing cycle
1: it will take will and commitment apparently priya misra michelle mm-hmm. girard thank you ladies both very much have a great day Coming up on the show, the latest on that developing story around Credit Suisse and one controversial shareholder looking to raise its stake in the embattled Swiss lender. Plus, more of your morning's big money movers, including shares of one tech company proving to be a match with investors after earnings. We'll reveal that mystery chart after this commercial break. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for more of your big money movers. First up, you've got Match Group. We teased it before the break. The company reporting better than expected third quarter revenues as more users looked for matches, dates, and signed up for paid subscriptions on Tinder. Matches warning the weaker global economy is hitting its brands that serve lower income consumers. Nonetheless, Match Group shares are up 16% in the pre-market trade. Now, stock number two is the Cheesecake Factory. Shares are tumbling after the restaurant chain reported a surprise third quarter loss and sales that missed analyst forecasts. The company says inflation and higher costs continue to eat away at its operations, though shares down 7.5%. And then stock number three is Caesars Entertainment. The casino operator swinging to a third quarter profit as sales beat forecasts, boosted by revenues from online sports betting. Caesars CEO saying October was the best month on record for the company's properties. In Las Vegas, those shares up nearly 6%. And a bonus big money mover for you. We're watching now shares of Chegg. They're soaring after the online learning platform's third quarter results beat forecast. Now, earlier this week, the company agreed to boost security as part of a consent agreement with the Federal Trade Commission. Those shares, again, up 19 plus percent in the pre-market trade. Now to a developing story and the latest on Credit Suisse as it tries to get its turnaround plan off the ground. Reports this morning, the embattled investment bank is garnering the attention of one controversial shareholder who'd like to boost their stake in the Swiss lender. Joining me now is the Financial Times European banking correspondent, Owen Walker. Owens at the FT did this story. And and what can you tell us about this new equity buildup in Credit Suisse as it kind of tries to get its turnaround track in place. It was Saudi, and now it's another big investor.
10: Yeah, so last week, um, Credit Suisse announced that uh, this much-awaited uh, plan to, to restructure its business uh, trim, trim down its investment bank and look to, to sell some of that off and refocus the business on wealth management. And to do this, uh, there's an awful lot of restructuring costs involved. Uh, The bill came to just under 4 uh, billion Swiss francs. That's around 4 billion US dollars. Uh, And to fund this, um, it had to announce it was going to do a capital raise. And this is going to be in two parts. The first part was going to be a share placement. um, And then the second part was going to be a rights issue to those existing shareholders. Now, uh, last week, they announced that the majority of the the first part, the share placement, was going to uh, be coming from the Saudi National Bank, uh, which is the largest commercial bank in uh, Saudi Arabia, and uh, which is its largest shareholder is the uh, Saudi sovereign wealth fund. Um, But we've uncovered today that uh, another significant investor in that early round is the Qatari uh, Investment Authority, which is also uh, a shareholder in Credit Suisse, owning about 5% of that stake. So uh, the result will be that um, after the the two, uh, the, the whole capital raise, you're going to have uh, uh, just under a quarter of um, Credit Suisse shares will be owned by Middle East investors because you have um, the SMB, the Saudis, the, the QIA, the Qataris, and Olyan, which is a, a long-term uh, Saudi investment group which has owned Credit Suisse for um, over 20 years.
1: I guess the, 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 next, the next question I have is there has been a lot of controversy around the investments that Saudi Arabia, other Middle East investors and private investment funds make. Uh, We're not even just talking about what the the controversy around the Live Golf Tour and and, and the human rights record and everything else and possible sports washing, whatever you want to call it. Is there any threat that with a massive ownership group from the Middle East, like you could potentially have with Credit Suisse right now, that it it would reverberate through clients? Would some clients maybe look to do business differently or at all with Credit Suisse because of these investors, potentially?
10: Well, I suppose with Credit Suisse, they have had uh, large Middle Eastern investors on their shareholder list for, you know, as I say, if we're going back a couple of decades. So the, the fact that that's going to, to grow and, and become a, a larger uh, Middle Eastern uh, shareholding block, that may um, create some problems for investors, for, for, for um, clients. But I think Credit Suisse has been quite vocal for some time that it would like to see uh, more business in the Middle East. Um, It's talked for for a while about that being a real growth area and its special area of of wealth management. It'd like to double down the area. You know, last week it announced uh, there'll be 9000 job cuts uh, in the next three years across the group. Um, But, you know, just a month before, it was talking about hiring an extra hundred or so people in Doha, in in, in Qatar. So uh, it it has actually been quite vocal that it sees the Middle East as a growth area. Uh, Its chief executive was saying just last week that, uh, you know, this is going to be one of the biggest hotspots over the next 10 years. So... um, I don't suppose it's going to be too much of a surprise for Credit Suisse's clients, though I suppose some people who, who may be a little bit more squeamish uh, about uh, some of those ties may look to, to pull um, and, and to, to switch elsewhere. But I think there's probably already been quite a lot of movement uh, in the last year or so um, from their clients to uh, other large wealth managers. Okay. Owen Walker with the Financial Times with the latest on Credit
1: Suisse and its investor groups there. Thank you very much. On deck for the show nice here, Aureus Asset Management's Carrie Firestone lays out how she's trading around the Fed's latest interest rate decision. Keep it right here. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's turn back to the Fed and what signals, if any, the FOMC and Jay Powell may give later on today. Joining me now is Carrie Firestone, the chairman and CEO of Aureus Asset Management. She's also a CNBC contributor. Carrie, this is a lot of conversation around the Fed and what's going to happen. We pretty much know what's going to happen at this stage. But what does it mean for markets? Is it constructive or do we still have a ways to go to the downside, perhaps, before things bottom out?
11: Hi, Dom. Well, of course, this is the big day and everyone's going to be trying to read tea leaves. So the market with an inability to do that exactly is going to continue, we believe, to trade within a range. You know, you're up between the 50 and 100 day moving averages and on the downside, maybe it's 3,500. On the upside, 4,100. That's where we've been trading for many months. And on days when the market feels optimistic that either the Fed is going to slow down the rate increases or the economy is slowing but not going into recession, we trade higher and on the days where people become pessimistic that higher rates are going to go on for longer and that the economy maybe is a little bit stronger and there's too much demand and inflation will remain in place and the Fed will remain tough well that's when the market trades down so the strategy really should be to try to find a comfortable place when you're in equities and 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 equities are still by and large oversold. They're not selling for very high multiples. But if you're looking for the right place, you have to have a mix between what is defensive and you feel comfortable with your earnings level and stocks that have been washed out and give you more opportunity over the next year or two.
1: Right. And, and which stocks are those? Because, Carrie, you always come armed with picks out there. I, I wonder, from a stock picker's perspective, what still represent a what re- what represents a bargain for you in these markets?
11: Yeah. So uh, if if we're looking on the the side of companies that can continue to perform and meet expectations and we feel good about and have been this year, Booz Allen, they are a defense contractor. They're not recessionary. They have a a great business in place. And of course, when there's conflict around the world, that has been a positive, uh, whether or not they're consulting to those countries. But that's been a good stock this year. Does not trade for a high multiple BAH. Waste Connection, all those waste companies, you know, they had a couple of years where offices and, you know, major commercial buildings were not being used. They are now. And that's uh, improved the waste production. They have escalators within their clauses with municipalities. That's been a stock that's held in and is flat for the year. We still like it. O'Reilly Auto. I mean, other people like this one, too. You can see that the stock uh, has been a big outperformer this year. But as long as people are you know, still driving, can't buy a new car, hard to get a used car, m- much more do-it-yourself um, car repair and professional uh, professionals working in your cars, that's been a great one. We still like it. But on the, the side of stocks that have been hammered and we think have opportunities right now, I, I, I'll give you two. One is Salesforce, okay, CRM. Been a tough stock, down 43% this year. We think it can continue to grow earnings per year long-term, 20% a year. They had the Slack acquisition behind them. Might not have been the best acquisition, but it's integrated now. They have more cost control. There's an activist in the stock. We like that. And Charter Communications also been hit hard, 45% down this year. It's like a utility, being in the cable business, big cash flow generation, buying back a lot of a lot of shares. And we see this over the next year or two as maintaining its growth. You know, there's always a little churn, but people need their internet, and 5G is going to command that they have better uh, internet service in their homes and businesses. All right. So those are a few.
1: Carrie Firestone, more than just a few. I like the picks there. Always coming armed with those. We Thank appreciate you. the time. Kerry, we'll see you soon. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Futures right now are pointing to a very muted open ahead of that big interest rate decision coming up later on this afternoon, 2 p.m. Eastern time. Widely expected the Fed's going to raise by three-quarters of one percentage point or 75 basis points. The Dow's implied lower by just five points right now. Squawk Box picks up the market coverage. It comes up next. We will see you tomorrow. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC.